Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California voters last night set the terms for the November election, including a showdown between Karen Bass and Rick Caruso for mayor of Los Angeles. L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva did not get enough votes to avoid having to compete in November. San Francisco voters also ousted their progressive district attorney, Chesa Boudin, in a bitter campaign that has emboldened a recall effort against Los Angeles DA George Gascon. Also, are Democrats better positioned now to pick up congressional seats this November? The takeaways from the June primary election, next on Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Less than 20 minutes after polls closed last night, Governor Gavin Newsom and U.S. Senator Alex Padilla were declared the winners heading into November by the Associated Press. The call for state attorney general and criminal justice reformer Rob Bonta soon followed. But the fate of reformer San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin was starkly different. Boudin won't get to finish his first term as the city's prosecutor. So what message did primary voters send last night? albeit a small percentage of them, as turnout numbers suggest, we dig in to the still-being-counted results with our trusty politics team, Marisa Lagos, as politics correspondent for KQED. Hi, Marisa. Hey, Mina. Also, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. So, Governor Gavin Newsom and Attorney General Rob Bonta cruise to their spots in November, Scott, as I just said. No surprise there. But tell us what is noteworthy about their victories and who they'll likely face in November. Or or maybe the story, Scott, is who they won't face. (laughs) Anyway, start with the governor, if you would. Yeah, I mean, the governor won all but a very small, both of them, actually, Bonta and the governor won all but like maybe, you know, six or seven counties in the entire state of Mm -hmm. California. I mean, Newsom, basically, this was a replay of the recall back in September where he crushed the recall. He got 62 percent no vote. Um, and Rob Bonta was a little bit more of a surprise because he has never faced the voters statewide. He wasn't as well-known and not well-known really at all. But having that D next to your name, even in a low-turnout election, uh, is just a huge signal for voters in the state of California. I mean, the registration numbers in California, almost two to one in favor of Democrats over Republicans. And so uh, they clearly, uh, they, voters got that cue. Newsom had a huge financial advantage. And Rob Bonta, it looks like he's going to face one of two Republicans, which is really what he wanted, because the other candidate in that race, the district attorney in Sacramento County, Henry Schubert, who was a no-party preference candidate, uh, really down, uh, not doing quite well uh, in spite of getting some big law enforcement endorsements. And that just shows you, again, I think the power of having a party identification. We've seen that up and down the ballot 
um, where it's a cue to voters. It was a cue to Republicans when Lonnie Chen coming in first place in the controller's race uh, with uh, about 30 uh, high 30s, I think. So, it, you know, California is just a solidly blue state. And when you get down to the congressional level and like, we, you know, we'll talk about the Boudin race, the mayor's race in Los Angeles, there is more there's more nuance. But at a statewide level, you know, having a D next to your name is just a big, big advantage and one that really Demo- uh, Republicans have not been able to overcome since 2006. That's the last time a Republican won a, sta- a statewide election in California. Yeah, Maurice and Marie Schubert going up against Attorney General Rob Bonta. The idea was that uh, Schubert would try to appeal to California's ideological center, right, by being a no-party yeah. preference. Similarly, in the governor's race, they thought maybe Michael Schellenberger would do that as well. So what is this saying? Is there really not a big ideological center? Is there not a moderate, a large moderate base in California that the because the two main parties, the Democrats and Republicans, are so different? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. And I think it shows, I, I think, first of all, just like stepping back as a voter, how challenging this can be, right, to make sense of all these races. And so having the cheat sheet of a political party that you have maybe been part of, or at least voted with for a long time is clearly important. I mean, incumbency matters as well, right? There's certainly no name Democrats or lesser known Democrats who didn't fare as well in some of these races uh, who were strong candidates. But I think that, you know, in both of those races, the incumbents knew, uh, Bonta's folks, Newsom's folks, and and a lot of their supporters in labor, that they didn't want to face one of these independent voters in the fall, because that might have been more of a race, right? When it's not just this kind of question, when people are maybe a little bit more informed and engaged, um, that maybe you know, somebody like a Schellenberger or Anne-Marie Schubert would have been a bigger challenge uh, to overcome. But it's not happening yet, Mina. And I think that, um, you know, the, that doesn't mean that this playbook won't be tried again and that there won't be lessons learned. But it certainly fell a little flatter than I think a lot of folks had expected. I mean, mm. especially considering the, the media coverage given to someone like Michael Schellenberger, who ultimately is at, you know, 3.7% of the vote in this moment. Yeah, in the race for governor. Well, listener Michael tweets, and listeners, if you want to join the conversation with the results you're cheering, the results you're booing, or what questions you have about the results from last night, you can do so by emailing forum at kqed.org or posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Of course, you can always call 866-733-6786. So Michael tweets here, I hate the jungle primary, 26 candidates for governor. How can same-day registrants make an informed decision? The system favors incumbents and candidates plugged endlessly on TV and social media, i.e. beholden to special interests who fund the ads. Scott, remind us who will Newsom face? We haven't even mentioned <laughs> Yeah, that. that's right. Brian Daly is a state senator, represents 11 counties in California, mostly rural ones. Uh, and, you know, he, he just didn't have a lot of money. Uh, Newsom had tens of millions of dollars, uh, most of which I think he hasn't spent yet. Uh, Dolly, ha- Dolly had, you know, maybe less than half a million dollars he had raised. I mean, the Republican Party in California endorsed him, but they're not going to put money behind him. It's just not a good use of they'd rather put it behind, say, Alanhi Chen in the controller's race, who maybe has a chance to win or some of the congressional races, legislative races. Uh, so he, they will be facing him. You know, one thing about um, 
you know, voters, you know, the, the, the comment was, how can somebody who turns out the day of the election to register and know what they're doing or be paying attention? But, you know, California, unlike most other states, has really lowered all the barriers to voting. We now send a ballot to every registered voter. And we still, you know, we still, in spite of all these advantages, the ability to mail back your ballot, and as long as it was postmarked by yesterday, it'll be counted for days, you know, as long as it, it, it arrives with that postmark. Uh, and, and yet we still see pretty low voter interest. And so I think what it tells you in part is, A, people are very busy right now. They have a lot of things going on in their lives with the pandemic and everything else. Um, And you have to have something to excite voters. Uh, You know, the race is at the top of the ticket. You know, we haven't mentioned the Senate race, but Alex Padilla also basically running unopposed. I mean, there was no, there is not really a strong candidate against him. Same with Gavin Newsom. And, you know, it's so I think, you know, at least in San Francisco with the DA recall, there was something to kind of mobilize people, something that excited voters. But with no statewide ballot measures that are controversial, hot button issues, you know, we just didn't see a big turnout in spite of the fact that every registered voter had a ballot. Well, let me go to caller Amy in Sacramento. Hi, Amy. Hi. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to uh, make the point that you uh, have been talking about how not having a major party designation hurt candidates like Anne-Marie Schubert, but that also, um, you know, specifically in her case, there was uh, kind of a pretty vocal uh, campaign against her, especially with her record against, like with her handling of the Stefan Clark shooting and, and all of that. So I think that, you know, the the major party preference probably didn't help, but also there are other factors to consider as well. Um, Amy, thanks. Marisa, yeah, if you want to respond to Amy's point, but also who will Bonda likely end up facing? Which Republican? Yeah, so I would say to Amy's point, that might be true up in the Sacramento area where people are are more uh, familiar with her sort of, you know, track record. But I really don't think... I think her problem was more just name ID statewide. I just don't think people knew who she was. Um, And it's hard to get there again when you are a local official who doesn't have the sort of weight of a party behind you. You know, she got some pretty high profile law endorsement um, uh, endorsements, but there wasn't a ton of money behind them. And, you know, there was a concerted effort on the part of Democrats backing Bonta to prop up these Republicans because they saw these two candidates, Eric Early, who is a Los Angeles area uh, uh, attorney who does a lot of civil work and has a kind of right wing radio show there on KABC is really affiliated with the former President Trump um, and Nathan Hawkman, another uh, lawyer from Los Angeles who is a former U.S. attorney and has kind of staked out a more moderate Republican position. Um, they were both helped by, I think, both their sort of existing like name ID within some small pockets. And then in Hawkman's case, he got the GOP endorsement. In Early's case, um, he had you know, challenged Adam Schiff before. And and again, there was ads being run by folks supporting Bonta, sort of selling early as a Trump candidate, which is twofold, right? I think it's like it makes Democrats scared of him and might Mm. makes the Republican base, a lot of whom still support Donald Trump, vote for him. Well, Scott, as you alluded to, Republicans basically solidified their best shot at a statewide office in the state controller's race with Lonnie Chen. Speaking of questions around who 
people will likely face. Who is Lonnie Chen likely to face on the Democratic side? He is going to face Malia Cohen, who used to be a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. She's now a member of the Board of Equalization, kind of an obscure office that very few people understand what they do. Uh, But, you know, she there are other Democrats in the race that split the vote, including uh, Steve Glazer over in the East Bay. So, you know, it's still likely, I think you'd have to say Malia Cohen is uh, the likely winner in November. But Lonnie Chen is going to have a lot of support behind him. He's very qualified. And I think you'll be seeing him getting a lot of media attention. Yeah. The other point I want to make, and we don't really talk about this much, but the top two primary system, which voters enacted about a decade ago, and which means that the top two finishers in the primary go on to November regardless of party, in some ways the big losers in that system have been the smaller parties, the Green Party, the Peace and Freedom Party, the Libertarian Party, because they're never going to finish in the top two. And so voters never have an opportunity to you know, just cast a vote for them uh, because they happen to like their ideology or the candidate in November because they're not even on the ballot. They just don't make it into the top two. And, you know, I think there are advantages to the top two system. In, in, a, in a sense, you end up with two candidates who maybe represent a broader spectrum of the electorate, you know, perhaps a liberal Democrat and a more moderate Democrat. But, you know, I do think that the, it's the smaller parties that have really suffered from uh, this new system. Well, one Another listener wants to weigh in on Anne-Marie Schubert. <laughs> Writing your Anne-Marie Schubert can call herself an independent all she wants, so can you, but she is not a center candidate. No way. Sacramento uh, residents know better from experience. But I just didn't, know. Yeah, yeah, go I, ahead. Uh, that's Marisa. the one county that I can see uh, that Anne-Marie Schubert really came in her. second. <laughs> Yeah. Right? So people know her in Sacramento. Maybe some folks dislike her. And look, she's registered as a no party preference voter. That's what we're saying. If you read any of my coverage, she clearly ran far to Bonta's right and got the support of the biggest law enforcement union in the state. Well, let me read Ivan's tweet. Ivan tweets, the election went to the dogs and candidates who outspent the real people's choices for governance. We hear from you listeners more if you'd like what you want to say about the results, the ones you're happy about, the ones you're less happy about. If you didn't vote, why not? 866-733-6786, the number. Email your questions, comments to forum at kqed.org. Post them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are at KQED Forum. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. We're in the third year of the worst drought in California history, and yet 
L.A. and the Southern California coast used 25 percent more water in April than they did a year ago. Well, hear how a Las Vegas water agency has figured out how to deal with its water issues. And we want to hear from you. How are you conserving water? You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or leave a voicemail, 415-553-3300. Today, we're breaking down California's primary election results with Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer, both hosts of KQED's political breakdown show. And joining us now is Ange-Marie Hancock-Alfaro, Dean's Professor of Political Science and Gender Studies at the University of Southern California. Professor Hancock-Alfaro, so glad to have you on. Great to be here. It's an honor. I want to get to some of the races where there was a lot of action and questions about who would make it. And of course, that was in cities, like in the race for Los Angeles mayor. Uh, Definitely very hotly contested, arguably the most, and definitely the most expensive as well. I actually want to play a couple of cuts. One from Representative Karen Bass, who made a point of pointing out how much her challenger, Rick Caruso, spent. Here's Bass. strong against an onslaught, a $45 million onslaught to be exact, spent by a billionaire. It's all of the community organizations that fueled this campaign, that walked precincts, made thousands of calls that are at the heart of this campaign and will carry us over the finish line. That was Bass. Now let's hear from Rick Caruso. I want to remind people that a couple of months ago, only a couple of months ago, only 6% of the people knew who I was. How are we doing tonight? And it's not because I'm some political genius. It's because we've been proposing practical solutions for very complex problems that people understand. Ange Marie, seems like that money... Rick Caruso's own money, more than $40 million of it, did help him get his name out there as he's kind of pointing out. What do you think is behind his success of having a small lead over Bass in early returns? Well, I certainly think that the money was uh, a factor. Um, certainly, I think we were running some of the numbers yesterday with the earlier returns, and it works out to something like a quarter of a million dollars per vote, you know, um, that was spent so far. Um, you know, so for Caruso to get what he was getting, um, probably slightly less because, you know, the, the results have changed now. Um, so I do think absolutely that money was a factor. Um, I think the other thing that's really important to note here is um, the messages that he selected um, crime and homelessness, I think, are statewide issues that voters are really fed up with. And I think he absolutely was able to craft a message that appealed to voters, regardless of party, who are really fed up. Yeah, there was that poll uh, by Berkeley in the LA Times that showed that people were really concerned about homelessness, public safety, and also housing costs as well. So what did Cruz say he'd do, especially with regard to public safety? Well, one of the things that is the hallmark of his plan is to add 1,500 more uh, police officers um, as a way to really stem the tide on some of the rising crime. Um, And particularly among um, kind of Caruso's people, um, people who are wealthier, people who live, you know, 
um, in and around some of the richer parts of um, LA, as well as parts of the Valley, frankly, um, they are very concerned about some of these upticks in crime and certainly some of the more salient crimes like the push-in robberies, the smash and grabs that have been seen. Um, and they think that 1,500 more officers is the solution. So do you think that that's what people were supporting in supporting Caruso? I guess I'm juxtaposing this with the fact that uh, sort of the tough on crime L.A. Sheriff Alex Villanueva wasn't able to avoid a runoff as he'd hoped. Yeah, so I think so. I've been thinking about this contrasting, you know, kind of they're having the same message, but contrasting um, outcomes. Um, And I think the other key difference when I say fed up is that people are no longer willing to continue to give chances um, to someone who's been in office, right? So, Mm. you know, Sheriff Villanueva down here, um, of course, has had four years um, to have an impact on these two issues uh, in particular. And, you know, a lot of his messaging has really been around, well, I haven't been able to do much because the Board of Supervisors is holding me back or George Gascon, the district attorney down here is, you know, holding me back. Um, And when they say fed up, I think uh, voters have showed that they're also fed up with excuses because 65% of voters yesterday voted for someone other than Sheriff Villanueva. Do you think that hurts Bass Ange-Marie with regard to the fact that she's a longtime politician and a champion of democratic policies that have been tried in L.A. to some extent? I think that definitely creates a bit of an uphill battle uh, for uh, Bass. Um, I think one of the things that she has really tried to do, and I think she will continue to do, she started to do it a little bit last night, um, is to really be clear about her partisan identity. Um, So I think to, you know, one of Scott's points earlier, this idea that we have, you know, such heavy democratic registration, and yes, Caruso has now registered as a Democrat. I think she's going to really start to bring up, you know, that perhaps he's a dino Democrat in name only and for strategic purposes. Well, the L.A. sheriff, even though he could not reach the simple majority to avoid a runoff, certainly sounded pretty defiant uh, last night when he took the stage. I want to play a cut of Sheriff Alex Villanueva. This is an important historical day, and it started off with a bang. The DA of San Francisco has just conceded he has been recalled. George Gascon, you're next. A bit of applause, Anjemarie. Do you think San Francisco DA Chesa Boudin's loss has implications for L.A. County DA George Gascon, where there is that effort underway for another recall attempt? You know, I think one of the things that's a little bit different, um, so yes, I think it has implications um, is the short answer, but one of the things I think is a little different about L.A. and having lived in both parts, I can say this, Um, Here down in L.A. County, I think there is a much more dispersed opposition um, to Gascon um, than I observed in San Francisco against Boudin. Um, So I think, you know, Villanueva is certainly courting that vote. um, And I think that that vote is a very passionate vote. um, But to the degree you drive up turnout in the general election, um, and that's certainly something that Um, any of the mayoral candidates are going to want to do that because there are a lot of voters left on the table, of course, Um, and other, you know, races will also drive up turnout. That will also be something that will kind of cut against 
a gas cone recall being as successful as the Boudin one was just recently. We're talking with Ange-Marie Hancock-Alfaro, Dean's Professor of Political Science and Gender Studies at USC. Also with us is Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, and Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Marisa, I want to ask you about the recall of Chesa Boudin, just in terms of the speed with which it was projected, Mm -hmm. um, and also just the questions I have about how to reconcile Boudin's recall and Another criminal justice reform champion, Rob Bonta, having a huge lead going into November. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's that old adage, all politics are local. And I think that absolutely plays out here. Um, I will say that I I do think that there are lessons for folks like Gascon in this. But I think the sort of narrative that this is a huge repudiation of every criminal justice reform that California's embraced is a little right. bit far. If you read national and conservative headlines, you'd think California is expressing this uniform backlash against criminal justice reform. Yeah. And I mean, even local polling has shown that while Chase Boudin himself was wildly unpopular and, you know, really was, I think, um, even I'll say scapegoated because I think that this is true. Like there's a there's a, there's memes on a, like next door around here that like, oh, the fog's back. Blame Chesa. Recall Chesa. You know, I mean, it felt like there was a real successful effort by his critics to paint him with this brush of like being the source of almost every problem in San Francisco. And I mean, clearly there are a lot of people who have uh, very sort of, you know, more nuanced critiques of him and his policies and what he's done. But I do think that that was sort of the sense that a lot of anger over broader issues that aren't just crime, homelessness. I mean, I, I think we need to be really careful to separate those. They're not the same thing, but they're often conflated. And if you look at the LA mayor's race, I think that's similar. Um, but, you know, there, there was an examiner poll last week that showed that overwhelmingly a lot of the policies he pushed are still um supported by San Franciscans. And that poll had him losing the recall as well. So if you take that at face value, I think it's a sort of confusing message for Democrats here. Like, you know, what I've noticed, Mina, and I think will be really fascinating to watch moving forward is kind of the rhetoric um, more broadly around this stuff, because I noticed in my conversations, even with Nathan Hawkman and I mean, even Eric Early, the most conservative candidate in the attorney general race, is they're still talking about things like the need for balance and rehabilitation. And 10, yes. 15 years ago, that was not on the lips of any Republicans, let alone moderate Democrats. Well, and also, you know, and Marisa knows this well, because she's been reporting on it, Diana Beckton, the also a progressive DA in Contra Costa County across the bay. She easily <laughs> easily won uh, beating yeah. Mary Knox, a career prosecutor, tough on crime, and you know had embraced many of the same kinds of policies that Chase Boudin did. She also prosecuted successfully a sheriff's deputy over in the East Bay, and that did not uh, please the police union, the law enforcement unions. So she survived. So I do think there is and a... Jeff Rosen down in Santa Clara. Who yeah, so I think, I think there's a, sort of a, a yeah. uniqueness in some ways to Chase Boudin and you know, his style, his management, and then just also the, the, the way people are feeling in, in the city about uh, crime right now. Well, let's hear Chase Boudin in his own words explaining what he thinks happened last night. This was never about one vote count. It was never about one election night party. It was never about specifically which person gets to be in the office of the district attorney. This is a movement, not a moment in history. Uh, That was Chesa talking, trying to rally his supporters to try to continue the fight. But let's hear that cut where 
he's talking about what he thinks really went wrong and what happened last night. Um, if we can grab it. Oh, I'm getting word that we do not have it, but let me just tell you. Oh, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Here we go. People are angry. They're frustrated. And I want to be very clear about what happened tonight. The right-wing billionaires outspent us three to one. They exploited an environment in which people are appropriately upset. And they created an electoral dynamic where we were literally shadow boxing. Voters were not asked to choose between criminal justice reform and something else. They were given an opportunity to voice their frustration and their outrage, and they took that opportunity. Marisa, does he have a point here? There was no alternative to yeah. weigh Boudin against. This was a protest vote. Yeah, I want to start this by saying clearly. I mean, this recall struck a nerve. Sixty percent of voters voted for it. So, you know, whether the Republican money helped, I'm sure it did get that message out. People are frustrated and they are clearly taking it on Chase of Boudin. But I think we also have to look at a couple other factors here. One, our ranked choice voting system. Boudin won like 36 percent of the vote in that original election. So it, I think that, you know, it it's hard to have a clear mandate under this ranked choice voting system. Two is that he has a really unique past. He was a former public defender. His parents went to prison for an armed robbery involving uh, the group Weather Underground that the radical group they were part of that uh, in which two police officers and a security guard were killed. Police officers really had it out uh, for Chase Boudin. And I think that there's some legitimate questions about whether the sort of way the police force has operated in the past few years did some things to undermine him specifically. And then the moment we're in, the pandemic, the change in crime trends, uh, the fact that people had a lot of time to sit at home and get frustrated about a lot of these things, um, and the fact that I think in a lot of cases, Chesa Boudin did not handle the criticisms of him and his policy mm. well. Well, we've got a listener who feels that way. This listener writes, I was a DA for 35 years in Sonoma County. During that entire time, the DA of SF County has been a political creature. He should have emphasized the job of the DA's to convict the guilty, protect the public. He should have set up special homicide units, home invasion, robbery units, and auto theft crimes against property and publicized that public safety was of greatest importance. I also think he was not a very strong public presence. In fact, it seems there were a lot of complaints about the office not being responsive to the public. The failure to communicate with the public was deadly. Here are some more comments. This listener writes, please discuss the insurance commissioner race. Oh, insurance commissioner race. Scott, mm. you want to take that? Uh, interestingly, Ricardo Lara did better than I think a lot of people hoped. Did you think Levine would do better? Mark Levine, the, the Democratic challenger against the Democratic incumbent? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Ricardo Lara, you know, as we said earlier at the top of the show, having that D next to your name, Ricardo Lara was elected four years ago narrowly over Steve Poisner, a declined a state candidate, actually. He did have the endorsement of the Democratic Party, but he He's been embroiled in one scandal after another for the past several years, starting with the fact that he took money from the insurance industry that he said he would not since he regulates that industry. And, uh, you know, he did, he did very well last night. He came in first by a pretty easy margin. Uh, and then there's a question of who's, who he's going to face. If he faces yeah. one of the Republicans uh, who he may well face, it's going to be a pr pretty much an easy reelection for him. We did think Mark Levine, who is the assemblyman from Marin County, Unusual for a Democrat to challenge another Democrat in a statewide race like this, especially when they're the incumbent. And early in the evening, Levine was in second place. He's kind of fallen back now. 
unclear whether he'll, in the end, uh, be uh, the number two spot. Uh, but, you know, I think, again, it just shows people have not much information about races like this. You know, I, I don't think people think about the controller, the treasurer, the insurance commissioner. And so they do look for cues. The one thing I, I think one cue that they might have missed is that every major newspaper in California said uh, that Mark Levine was the best choice, that Ricardo Lara needed to go. Even the LGBT paper, the Bay Area Reporter, you know, Lara was the first openly gay person to win a statewide race in California. The the, the Bay Area Reporter endorsed Mark Levine. Uh, and so, you know, I think there even even though, you know, all those things were lined up against him, a lot of headwinds for Ricardo Lara, he did have the endorsement of uh, Gavin Newsom and a lot of top Democrats. So and labor, organized labor as well. So it just goes to show you that in a race where voters don't have a lot of information, maybe not a lot of interest, maybe even like questions like, why am I voting on this? Um, you know, those other things matter more than like some negative press reports that people may or may not you know, have seen. It's almost mm-hmm. like uh, newspaper endorsements aren't that big of a sway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look t- at Chase Abudin Exactly. The Chronicle and the Examiner came out against the recall. And yeah, you know, it's it's. They're not what they used to be, although they do end up in a lot of TV ads. Well, Kelly writes, anyone who arrives on Election Day and is overwhelmed by the quantity of candidates simply shouldn't be voting. Spend a few minutes doing your homework as a responsible citizen. Likewise, I was quite surprised that Ricardo Lara got almost twice as many votes as Mark Levine for insurance commissioner. Makes me wonder if all those folks who voted for Lara are aware of the scandals that he was involved in. Let me see if I can squeeze in caller Sati in Pleasanton. Hi, Sati. Hi. um, I was... Uh, to, you know, piggyback off what you were saying earlier about how there might not be that much interest or, you know, information about some of these um, smaller uh, races and how overwhelming all the candidates can be, especially if you want to make an informed choice. And, you know, even with the accessibility of voting, it still takes a while to read up on all these candidates. Um, yeah, it was just, it, it did take me a while this time, even with my mail-in ballot. It took me several hours across a couple of days to be able to like read each candidate's uh, biography and you know even with the non-legislative positions a lot of them had similar talking points probably because again they know voters don't have that much information about their position so the voters will just look for those talking points and you know mm. vote with whatever party lines they align with. Well Sati thanks for sharing your experience and some of the complications though you did make the effort to to vote. Noel tweets we don't have a real democracy when big money is used to sway voters. So a lot of people weighing in on the system, the process in California, as well as specifically on the races. And if you want to weigh in, listeners, you can do so on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Call us 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. We're breaking down California's primary election results, which are still coming in. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya! 
You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. My Mina Kim, California voters, set the term. The terms for November last night in California's primary election, and we are breaking those down with Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, co-host, the two of them, of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Marie Hancock Alfaro is with us, Dean's Professor of Political Science and Gender Studies at the University of Southern California. And so are you, our listeners, telling us what results you're cheering, what results you're booing, what results you have questions about. Also, curious listeners, what you think the message was, if there was one, that Californians were sending last night with their votes. Email address is forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram is where you can find us at KQED Forum, or you can call us at 866-733-6786. I want to move to some of the congressional races last night. There were some interesting results. And Marie, I want to ask you about the results in this Orange County district where Republican Michelle Steele um, will, looks like, face Democrat Jay Chen. Um, in November. And this is a really interesting district because it has a large Asian American population, the largest Vietnamese American community um, in California, this district, maybe even the nation, I'm not sure. Um, And you also have basically a South Korean immigrant American in Michelle Steele and a Taiwanese American in Jay Chen. So so what do you think is going to happen come November with this race, Ange Marie? You know, I think it's going to be a really hard fought race. Um, certainly, uh, and so we should also say that this is an open district. Um, so this is one of the districts that was drawn or redrawn. So Michelle Steele actually oh, represents a different set of neighborhoods right. now than she will if she wins in November. Um, so she originally, rep- well, now she represents the coastal communities. So kind of Huntington Beach areas of Orange County. Um those areas. And now she's moved, you know, to run in this open district that's been created. Um, And so again, I think you're right about the populations, but I think it's going to be really hard fought, um, both because of just statewide registrations and even Orange County, which used to kind of be, you know, we used to talk about it as the orange curtain um, of conservative politics, you'd get behind the orange curtain. And here, you know, when you look at the results in Orange County more broadly and in some of these communities that Michelle Steele or Jay Chen would actually represent, um, it's a lot closer. Um, so I do think this is going to be one of those competitive toss-up districts that we're going to pay attention to in November. Another toss-up district, uh, Marisa, is that Northern L.A. County District where incumbent Mike Garcia is going to face off with Assembly Member Christy Smith, is it the third time that they're going to face each other? <laughs> it is, and uh, they were very close races before. I think the last one he won by about three hundred and thirty-three votes. Wow! So, I mean, what's important here to note, though, is that again, this is a pretty new district. It was redrawn to include um, it's it, it's basically more of a benefit for Democrats. And so, while I think there's some folks who had hoped uh, that Quay Quarty, another Democratic candidate, might um, reach this runoff uh, because Christy Smith lost a few times. I think other folks see her as a strong candidate despite those losses. You know, she was the state assemblywoman from that area. She does have some name ID. Um, And it'll be interesting. Mike Garcia has really positioned himself as a very hard right uh, sort of Trump Republican um, and made no qualms about it despite the Democratic advantage in that district. 
And Scott, can you talk about the Central Valley District where Democrat Rudy Salas and Republican David Valadeo will likely head to November? And it looks like Salas will be the top vote getter going in, but I wonder how good Rudy's chances are of taking the seat from Valadeo come November. Yeah, I mean, Valadeo had been in Congress until uh, 2018 when T.J. Cox, the Democrat, knocked him off and then he got the seat back in 2020. So it is one of those areas that goes back and forth, very purple. Uh, Rudy Salas uh, is a strong candidate. And as you said, he came in first uh, yesterday, a very strong finish for him. Um, He's well known in that area, born and raised in the Central Valley, elected to the state assembly from there. He'll have a lot of support from the Democratic Party. Uh, Valadeo, one of just 10 Republicans nationwide to vote for the impeachment of Donald Trump. And so far, Trump's been quiet about that. He, unlike other races uh, or Liz Cheney, for example, in Wyoming, where he's made a put his really put his foot on the scale uh, to try to knock her off. He's really staying out of this one, probably because Kevin McCarthy has said, please don't do anything to hurt Valadeo's chances. That is a very tough district for Republicans to hold on to. Uh, but that, that'll, you know, that's one of four or five uh, seats we're really going to be watching carefully in November, as is kind of a surprise district, the 41st Congressional District, Republican Ken Calvert. Uh, That one was really kind of off the radar, uh, but with redistricting, Palm Springs, a very Democratic part of uh, the Coachella Valley, has been added to that district. And Mm. Will Will Rollins, a young federal prosecutor, openly gay, uh, has had a really strong showing coming in second. Uh, And so he's going to be facing off uh, against Calvert in the fall. And I think that's a race that's really going to energize people down in the Riverside area because it is a chance to knock off a Republican. It's still a district that leans or is even likely Republican in terms of uh, from the Cook political report. But I think uh, the results from this election are really going to give Democrats some hope for a, a pickup. Yes, well, certainly energizing voters is what Democrats hope to do, because Ange Marie, it really is looking like with these congressional races, the way that they're shaping up, that the California contests, there are several important toss-ups that will shape control of Congress, which isn't always something that California has relied upon to do, right? I think that's absolutely true. I mean, when you look at the ways in which other states, you know, if you think about um, Ohio, for example, and others, you know, are really struggling to get their maps approved and to get their maps done, um, and that they have been um, really kind of shaped so that Republicans would benefit. Um, I think, you know, increasingly folks are going to be looking to California, um, not because of the redistricting process, but again, just because of the headwinds of inflation and other kinds of issues, the dragging on of the pandemic um, that are really going to make it difficult for Democrats. They're going to be relying on California Democrats to really pull out. Yeah, well, there are a couple of people who are weighing in about voting. This listener writes, every election is important, even a boring election. I've never not voted, and I'm surprised it takes an exciting election to get people out to vote. This listener writes, here's the problem with this primary, pathetic voter turnout, confusion and poor communication regarding cyclical redistricting, rapidly escalating polarization of voters to normalized extremism. Let me go to Demetrius and Fillmore. Hi, Demetrius. Can you hear me well? I can. Good morning, guys. Um, I just wanted to voice a concern about information regarding um, the candidates that I'm voting for. I mean, I currently, I reside in Ventura County, and I'm 25. I have this concern of disinformation and, and trying to find sources that can I can truly trust. I mean, you guys were recently talking about newspapers, local newspapers, and I was wondering... 
what trusted resources or what can I rely on to find some some nice and concise information regarding the candidates that I'm voting for? Because I want to do the research. I want to make the effort to know who I'm voting for. I don't want to just see a D or an R and vote for that person just because they have a letter by their name. I want to make a well-thought-out vote. And so um, I'm just wondering what I can do to help me with that situation. Well, Demetrius, thanks. This has come up, this came up in our preview conversation as well, of just people feeling like they want reliable and, and clear um, descriptions of the, the people and the issues that they're voting for. Marie, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on resources for Demetrius that he can trust. Sure. Um, so there are a couple. Um, and uh, and since I'm the guest, I will say one of the things that I think, you know, uh, stations like KQED and other national public radio stations do really well is to try and put together, you know, voter lists that help you have all of the links in one place and, and help you and help you kind of understand what the what the key issues are, the key debates are. Um, so I do think that that's one really important nonpartisan, you know, approach. Um, I think another, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think another um, really important source um, that is non-media related um, for the most part is uh, the good old, and, and this is one that's a, perhaps an oldie but goodie, is the, the League of Women Voters. Mm -hmm also really tries to do, and I think has a long history in California, you know, and the nice thing about the League of Women Voters is that they do try and cover the entire state as well as the federal, as well as the local, um, you know, and so I think a lot of people think, oh, League of Women Voters, you know, especially if you didn't grow up with that organization in your life, think that it's just for women or just about women candidates. Um, but no, they actually cover all the races and just like public radio really try and do it comprehensively and fairly to all sides. Which one do you like, Scott? Well, I, th I would agree with uh, with all that. And then Ballotpedia is also pretty good. Uh, it's very objective. They have links to the candidate websites. And I, I just want to really love what Demetrius said. Uh, hats off to you for looking. You want more than just what party do they belong to. You want to think about this. And Ballotpedia is a good one. Cal, Cal Matters, Matters uh, which is a partner yeah. you know, in the California newsroom. They're also good. Uh, so you have to hunt around a little bit, but I think those are all good sources. And uh, really, I mean, just to have hear from a voter who wants to make up their mind based on their own opinions and some good facts I, is terrific. Yeah, I have another Marisa. suggestion, too, which is like, I really think that one way that we can make voting both more exciting and informative is to make it sort of more of a community event. And like one thing that I've really enjoyed both in my role as a reporter being asked to speak to groups, but also just like as a human citizen in California is, you know, ha like maybe get cocktails with some friends and go over your ballot together. Like do some of your own research, pick a race each and come at it with some of your own ideas. And, re and so you don't have to research two dozen candidates. Um, and I think that that also offers an opportunity for people to maybe be pushed about things like maybe to think th a little bit more critically about a race or an issue um, in a way that's different because they're talking with a friend about it. And I just think in general, any way we can find to like have political conversations that are healthy and nuanced is a really important thing in this moment. 100%. <laughs> and 
Voters, you have a chance to do this because we have a general, we have another election in November coming up. So you can put all these things into practice. We're talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, also co-host of KQED's political breakdown show. Scott Schaefer is senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of our political breakdown show. Ange Marie Hancock Alfaro, Dean's Professor of Political Science and Gender Studies at the University of Southern California. They are all here breaking down the results of California's primary election. And I want to let listeners know that this is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. All right. Let me go to Mary in Richmond. Hi, Mary. Hi. Thank you. I really appreciate what you're addressing today. And I just wanted to make a suggestion that kind of piggybacks on the last thing that was said. You know, getting information out to people, um, I think, needs to be kind of like the how, like in what form. And I was just thinking of those highway signs that are hardly ever used, you know, for just like, like they said, you know, be sure to get your COVID shot for a while. Why not say it's your civic duty to vote and then suggest on those nonpartisan resources people can look up, like put this out there. People spend a lot of time in their cars. Well, Mary, thank you so much for that. Um, Billboards might get people's attention. Um, That's what Mary thinks. Definitely sounds like Mary's involved. Uh, Let me go to caller Joanne next in Berkeley. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Hey, I'm a registered Democrat in the state. I've lived here for many, many years, and I voted for uh, Lonnie Chen for controller. And I thought it was kind of interesting that um, all of the flyers that I got were trying to position him as, uh, you know, uh, being against abortion rights, and, you know, you had to vote for the Democrat because they're pro-choice, and I thought that was really irrelevant because controllers don't make laws, so I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up. Well, Joanne, thanks. This also came up, Marisa, earlier, but talk about uh, where the connection, or at least where people were hoping voters would make that connection. Yeah, I mean, Lonnie Chen is going to be a really interesting candidate to follow in the coming months because the caller's right. He really has uh, positioned himself as a moderate Democrat and the controller, you know, he's running kind of on this um, campaign saying that, you know, he can be a watchdog, that the fact that he's not part of the ruling political party is an asset in a position like that, you know, which is in part sort of an auditor position around state spending. I mean, on the other hand, he worked for Marco Rubio. He worked for Mitt Romney. And in a year when, you know, the Supreme Court is expected to potentially overturn Roe v. Wade entirely, uh, when gun controls are going to be an issue. I mean, I do think that voters and, of course, his opponents are going to bring up these questions. Um, You know, it's been brought up to me by Democratic consultants that, well, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't, you know, be writing laws or or even voting on laws, but he controls the purse strings. So could there be a move to restrict funding for abortion access? Now, there's no indication that that's Chen's plan, um, but but certainly expect those attacks from Democrats. Democrats and, yeah. and, you know, the and I think that it will be interesting to see both the attacks and then how he responds, because Chen has really dodged the question around yeah. abortion so far. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question, which is really how how are the parties going to be taking the results from the primary election and then really sharpening their messages? 
I feel like we got a little bit of a preview from Newsom when after he sort of sailed to November, he tweeted out that Republicans are attacking our fundamental rights as Americans destroying democracy, stripping a woman of the right to choose, standing idly by as gun violence claims far too many lives. Is that what you hear, Marie Democrats really focusing on to try to get voters out in November? Well, I think that's that's definitely, um, it started a little bit, like you said, um, in the primaries, um, you know, with some of the ads that Newsom was running. Um, and so I do think that that's going to be a strategy. I think that's a strategy also that's going to help in those house races um, that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, so again, trying to drive up that turnout, drive up the distinction between, you know, perhaps those incumbents like a Michelle Steele um, and others uh, to really be clear about what the choice is in November. Well, what do you think, Scott, Republicans will be saying? What kind of messaging <laughs> will they <laughs> be we were, giving? We were joking last night before uh, before we went on the air uh, that every time we heard the, the phrase gas prices, we were going to take a shot, uh, you know, because obviously <laughs> that, that yeah. is something that Republicans <laughs> are really focusing on. But, you know, I think if you look at the mayor's race in L.A. where former Republican Rick Caruso was really attacked by Karen Bass and others because he had been a Republican. Uh, and in, in San Francisco, Chesa Boudin, the district attorney, tried to call it a Republican recall. I think Democrats are going to need to do more than that in order to mobilize their voters. They're going to have to have real solutions that voters care about. Uh, and also they need to talk about issues that are on people's that are top of mind, whether it's you know Roe v. Wade and women's access to abortion or gun control. But I do think that uh, they have a lot of headwinds because Republicans have something that on the natural people people are thinking about, and that is gas prices, food prices, uh, issues around uh, baby formula, all kinds of things that affect people very, very directly. It's not it's not something that's theoretical. It's really very practical. Every time you drive by a gas station, you see the gas is over $6 a gallon. I mean, that's a reminder that things aren't the way you want them to be. So what do you do? You throw the bums out sometimes. Mm. I mean, and let's say, I mean, uh, yeah, I think that that's the biggest sort of question for Democrats is that when you are in charge and people aren't happy, who do they blame? The people in charge, right? And so, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that San Francisco is going to become a Republican stronghold, but it does mean that, you know, folks are being held accountable who are in positions of power. Yeah. And I think if you're an outsider like Rick Caruso, it does give you an advantage because you can't be blamed for all the unhappiness voters are feeling around homelessness, crime, whatever it might be. Well... Thank you, politics stars, Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer, for your analysis. And my thank you to you, Ange-Marie Hancock-Alfaro, Professor of Political Science and Gender Studies at USC, for your analysis as well. Thank you. I also want to thank Grace Wan and Caroline Smith for producing today's segment. And also a thank you to Camila Thurducuz at Southern California Public Radio for the audio from Representative Karen Bass and Sheriff Villanueva. And also, as always, my thanks to our listeners for weighing in on the results that they're happy about, the ones they weren't so happy about, but also the reminder to get involved, get engaged, and vote come November. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. 
Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.